You are listening to a sermon by Tanner Sherlock. Visit chialphashatternstate.com for more info. So did you guys have a good extended break? Yeah? I know I did. It was nice. I got to not write a sermon for a week. Did you, how many of you guys went to the Bethel thing on Tuesday? Just a handful of you guys? Man, it was awesome. If you didn't go, you missed out. I'm going to make you feel guilty for missing it. Because there was like 10 healings, at least, that happened. And man, it was just a powerful, powerful night. We're going to probably bring them in, but it probably won't be until next year. Like next school year is in like 2016 school year. So looking forward to next year, you should try to go. Courtney and I went out to dinner before the Bethel teams got on there, or before the Bethel team show. What do you call it? Night of ministry? I don't know. We didn't name it. But before the Bethel teams came, we went out to eat with dinner with the the team members from the event. And we're sitting there at Pizza Hut. And then all of a sudden, we're getting ready to leave. And two of the students just stand up and walk off and go start talking to some just a guy that was eating alone. And then so they're sitting there waiting. And then Courtney and I leave. And we're expecting them to leave right after us because the event is starting in like five minutes. And then they're still another 10 minutes behind us because as soon as they got done talking with that guy, they went and they found four college students. And basically what they're doing is, excuse me, they just felt like God was telling them to go and talk to these people about Christ. And so they shared the gospel with five people at our pizza hut just because they were being receptive and open to doing what God might ask them to do. And and they, they, they do it in a really cool way. They basically ask them, hey, do you want to play a game with us? And then through this, they basically say, I feel like God can actually interact with us and tell us things. And I want to see if, if God is wanting to tell me anything about you, basically, is what they say. So they just kind of make it into a game. And so the, the college kids were just a lot more receptive to hearing what they had to say because they, instead of walking up to them and just going, hey, do you know about Jesus? And immediately causing a brick wall to go up, they make it just kind of interactive in a fun way. And it just I just thought it was awesome because here's – Four random strangers coming into our ministry field, college students, coming into our ministry field and just sharing the gospel unashamed with four random strangers. And it just kind of made me feel like, man, there's so much more to my walk, so much more to being a Christian than what I've even, even fathomed I could do. And it kind of challenged me. It kind of made me start realizing maybe there's some areas of my life that I'm settling in. Maybe some areas in my life that I'm getting a little too comfortable with. Today we're going to be in Matthew 7. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles. Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open for you. So wait a second. You're telling me I have to actually ask? I have to actually seek? And I actually have to ask, or actually have to knock? That as soon as I become a Christian, it's not like all of a sudden everything's going to be handed to me? Wait a second. Continuing, verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks on the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them to do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. How many times do we get stuck with what the world tells us we should want? 
what the world tells us we need. And we don't take the time to seek after what God is already telling us he would give to us. We end up settling for just going to church on Sunday instead of having a relationship with him every single day of the week. We can have God in our lives every single day. How many times do we settle for Tuesday night Chi Alpha when we could have God seven days of the week? We begin to settle for a religion instead of having a relationship. We start having this ideal where we start having these ritualistic things in our lives where we start doing them out of obedience or for whatever reason we get into this habit where all we're doing is we're going to church, we're doing this, we're doing that. We're basically stuck in the law instead of having a real interactive relationship with Christ. We get stuck at ask, but we don't take the time to seek or to knock. We get lazy enough that we think, oh, if we just ask for these things, we don't take the time to actually seek out a relationship with Christ, to actually knock on the door. We're settling for the Seattle Seahawks when we could have the Denver Broncos. (laughs) Jesse. We're settling for Tuesday nights when we could be spending time with God every single day of the week. This is God who created the universe. Man, that's, that's powerful. How many of you guys have a friend that is related to or knows somebody famous, like actually knows them or is related to them? Like two of you, three. It is the most annoying thing in the world because every time you talk to those people who are real close with somebody who's famous, they find a way to bring up the fact that they're related to somebody famous. So you're like, yeah, I think Tom Brady got away with cheating because he, he flattened the footballs. And they're like, yeah, well, my uncle is a singer for Duran Duran. And one time when he was in Denver, his tire bus went flat and he called me and asked for help. And you're just like, what? <laughs> and so immediately that meme of Jackie Chan comes to mind. It's like, how do you get from point A to point B? But I can't blame them because it's, it's powerful. They know somebody famous. They know somebody that everybody can relate to. Most of you guys probably don't know who Duran Duran is because they're a crappy 80s band, but I give them credit. I know if I was related to somebody famous, somebody truly famous, I'd probably brag about it all the time. But do you realize that you actually know God? The dude who literally created everything on this earth. You can know him intimately, personally, better than anybody else can know a famous person. You can be in a relationship with God. Yet we spend more time bragging about a crappy 80s band and how we know them than we do bragging about the God of our lives, the God of the world, the God of the universe. We settle for things that the world tells us we should want in our life, rather than having the things that Scripture and God says that we can have in our life. Are you settling for looking good in front of others? Now hear me out. When there's an altar call, 
maybe at your church or at Chi Alpha, and there's an opportunity for you to go up for prayer, are you not going up for prayer because you want to appear like you don't need prayer? Are you not going up for prayer because you want to appear perfect? Now, this is something I know I personally struggle with. Sometimes when I'm at church on Sundays, I feel like there's something, an area in my life that I, want, I, I need prayer in, but I won't go ask for prayer because I'm afraid that people will be like, oh, the pastor needs prayer. Oh, the, the student leader needs prayer. Oh, so-and-so is such an amazing Christian. They actually need prayer. Have we ever denied prayer, getting prayer for ourselves, because we wanted to appear perfect? Are we settling for appearances rather than tangibly actually going and getting prayer? Are you settling for not being discipled? I want you to take a second and think about this. Is there anybody who is actively discipling you? If the answer is no, then you're settling for not being discipled. Now I want you to take another second. Think about it. Is there anybody who you are discipling? If the answer is no, then you're settling with not discipling. You're settling with not doing what Jesus has asked you to do. And maybe you're not at a point where maybe you're real close or real new in your faith and you're not quite at a point where you should be stepping out and discipling. I understand that. I get that. But if you've been a Christian for 10 years and you've got a real close relationship with God and you're not taking the time to disciple somebody, I feel like you're settling. One of the areas I see a lot more in college of settling going on is, are you settling for a guy or a girl who won't help you get towards Christ? Are you settling for a partner because they look pretty or they have a nice voice? But when it comes down to it and, and you get into the trenches, are they somebody who's going to be standing next to you in battle for God? As a Christian, you should be, seriously, the only reason you should be dating is to get married eventually. If you have no intention of dating, or if you have no intention of getting married, then why are you dating? See, the thing is, maybe sometimes we're not receiving God's best because we're simply just settling for less. We're not receiving God's best because we're settling for less. We've accepted what the world's told us is the dumbed-down version of the ultimate gift that God wants to give us. So I'm going to be real with you guys. I've told you this story like a million times. But before I was a Christian... I asked my wife out on a date, and she very promptly, very swiftly told me no. Shut me down hard. I asked her a couple different times, and everything, every time she basically just said no. She wasn't going to have a relationship with somebody who didn't believe in the same God as she did, who didn't have the same faith as she did. It wasn't worth it for her to have a relationship with somebody who wasn't seeking after the same things in life she was. Yeah, if she had started dating me and eventually we got married, we'd still be married, but I don't know where my walk with Christ would be if she'd have been dating me before I was even a Christian. See, and then even after we started dating, or even after I became a Christian, she very politely put me into the friend zone even after I was a Christian. And after we were friends for about a year, we eventually started dating because we both had the same goal in mind. We had the same purpose. We had the same desires in life. I don't know where my walk with Christ would be if she had said yes the very first time I asked her into a relationship. 
See, I, I disagree with missionary-style dating because you don't know whether the person you're dating is going to enter into a relationship with God. You don't know whether or not they're going to ever serve the same God as you do. And then, even if they do accept Christ, you might be hurting their relationship with God. Because I guarantee if Courtney had said yes to me, it would have hurt, would have hindered greatly my relationship with Christ. And yet, eventually, we still ended up getting married because it, it worked out. So the person that you got your eye on, if they're not a Christian, or if you're already in a relationship with them and they're not a Christian, that doesn't mean that you're not going to end up with them. But I, I, I firmly disagree with missionary-style dating. Unless there are points in Scripture where God will tell you to enter into a relationship with a certain person. However, you better be sure that it's God's will. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. See, the thing is, is if you're aiming at nothing, you're going to hit it every single time. How many of you guys have ever asked for prayer for something? And this is me speaking from personal experience. How many of you guys have ever gone up to ask for prayer for something? And maybe it's for healing for like a broken leg or something. And you're going up for healing and the whole time, while you're going up for healing, you're thinking, I know I'm not going to get healed, but I'm going to go up and pray just in case. Has any of you guys ever done that? It's just me. Just a couple of you guys. The rest of you guys are good. I can't count how many times I've gone up and I've asked for prayer for something. For maybe if I have a cold or maybe if I'm struggling with a certain sin and I go and I ask a brother in Christ for help to pray for me, to pray over me, and the entire time I'm thinking, I know this isn't going to work, but I need to at least try. I was going to God expecting not to get healed. Of course I'm not going to get healed. If I'm going to God expecting not to get healed, He's giving me exactly what I'm asking for and not getting, not getting healed. I can't count how many times I've done that. Honestly, I probably asked for prayer more times expecting not to get healed than I've ever asked for prayer expecting to get healed. See, I believe God has even better in store for us than we can even fathom for our lives. I truly do believe that. See, I asked all these questions about are you settling for this, are you settling for that, and it got pretty heavy in here because I think most of us have realized there's many aspects of our relationship with God and where we're settling, where we're cutting corners, where we're not expecting big things. I truly believe, and I stand here before you, I truly believe God has better in store for us, for our lives, than we can even fathom at this point. But you just got to stop get, stop being in that habit of settling, settling for less of God, settling for more of the world, Settling for expecting not to receive healing because God ultimately wants an intimate relationship with us. He wants to have that intimacy. Turn in your Bibles to Romans 12. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve it. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. 
Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Man, cling to what is good. Love. Honor one another above yourselves. Keep your spiritual fervor. Fervor means intense and passionate feeling. Keep your spiritual fervor. Where's Reuben at? I'm going to pick on Reuben for a minute. Reuben has two passions that I can think of off the top of my head. Two, the number two passions that I'm thinking of, just from how I've gotten to know him over the past semester. One of them, and I'm not putting them in order, but one of his passions is MMA, some sort of martial arts, different variances, variances of martial arts. If you want to get him all worked up and excited and put a smile on his face, bring up martial arts with him. He loves talking about it. Kind of like how if you bring up football with me, I can just immediately engage in a conversation with you. If you don't know how to approach Ruben and you want to get into a conversation with him, just start talking about mixed martial arts. Look at the smile on his face. I mean, he isn't even talking about it and he's smiling. Am I right? It's one of your... The second passion, and like I said, these aren't in order. The second passion I could come up with was how much of a desire he has to see men step up and be men of God. Above being what the world says a man is, but more like what God expects of men. Am I right? See, he wants to see men step into their role. He wants men who are truly manly men, who grow beards and make fart jokes, but they do it in Christ. No, I'm just joking. Keep your spiritual fervor. That's something I would never want to see pass away. And, and I'm not saying that his passion of, of MMA is wrong in any way. Don't get me wrong, I think it's great to have passions like that. But he also has a passion of seeing men step into their role in Christ. And as I was talking to him, I asked him initially what, his, what he felt like his passion was in Christ. And first he, he said music, right? First thing he said was music. And then the conversation just kind of kept on going. And then as we're talking, he starts talking about men stepping into their role as Christ, and I couldn't get him to shut up for the next 10, 15 minutes. And so I turned to him and I said, Reuben, do you know what your passion is? And he said, what? And I, and I showed him basically what we had been talking about, and he realized his passion in ministry is that. And not that music isn't a passion for him. But sometimes God puts things in our hearts. I have a passion for ministering to college students. My wife has a passion for ministering to college students. I confirmed this, this passion yesterday, speaking to middle school students, and I wanted to stab myself in the brain as soon as I left the room. Pastor Brett is the youth pastor at the church at C3. Man, I give him props. I could not be a youth pastor. But I think the thing is that when you have a passion... God strengthens you in that area. If all of a sudden God decided, Tanner, you're going to be a youth pastor, you're going to minister to, to middle school students because you claim that you wanted to stab your brains out when you talk to them, almost as a, a little joke, 
I know he would give me strength and passion in that area. He wouldn't just leave me hanging. He wouldn't just give me a dry passion for it that I had to force it every single day. I really believe that in your passions for Christ, your passions for ministry, to teach, to, to encourage, to do whatever it is, that God's going to give you passion for that. He's going to give you excitement. You're going to have a level of excitement because how hard is it to convince somebody to do something when you absolutely hate it? Like, I hate doing chores out on the ranch. How am I going to get Jesse to come out on the ranch and help me do chores if I'm like, yeah, dude, chores suck so bad. They're so terrible. It's so cold. Going out every single night of the week checking animals because they're so unintelligent, they decide to have their babies on the coldest days of the year. How many of you guys are ranchers know that I'm speaking the truth? Is Jesse going to be like, yeah, let's go out on the ranch and check out animals on the coldest day of the year? Jesse, are you going to come with me? What if I'm like, dude, I love checking animals. It's so awesome. The babies are so beautiful. When, they, when there's just something about natural birth when animals are having their babies, and the little lamb gets up, and it's bang all cute, and it's just like, meh, and you just, oh, man, they're so cute, and they're floppy ears, and they're jumping around like Bambi. It is so awesome, dude. Do you want to come out with me sometime? Oh, man. See, when you have a passion for something, it's easier to convince somebody. It's easier to, to talk to people about what you want to talk about. You can, when somebody's truly excited about something, when Reuben was talking to me about being a step, men stepping up to be men of God, and he just had that excitement on his face, and he was so excited about it, I just wanted to jump up and help him, even though that's not necessarily what I'm called to do or my passion. But we've got to stop settling for what the world tells us we want, what the world says our passions are. We've got to start living in the passions that God gives us. See, as I was talking about getting all excited, I'm going to pick on Jed for a minute, too. On Sunday after church, we go out to eat lunch, and Jed was with we were one of the large groups from the church eating lunch, and Jed was with us. And we're sitting there talking, and, and Jed just all of a sudden is getting all worked up. And you know how when Jed gets worked up about a topic? Man, it is. if you haven't got him worked up about something, try. It is great. But he's all worked up on the idea that God is outside of time. That in the beginning, God created man, and he gave us thousands of trees to eat from, and one tree that we weren't allowed to eat from. And yet we still, as man, chose that one tree out of thousands to eat from. Because God gave us the choice. He knew in order to love him truly, he would have to give us free will, so he still gave us a choice. Even though he made the choice very lopsided, we still managed to choose the one tree. But God, knowing all this would go down because he's outside of time, knowing that all this would go down, he already knew that Jesus would eventually die on the cross for our sins, and we would yet again get another choice in which there's 10,000 gods out there now, but there's one right choice. There's one Jesus Christ. There's one salvation. There's one God in which he came to die for us. And I'm not saying there's 10,000 gods out there, but you get what I'm getting at. 
And he just got so excited and got so worked up. And then he said something at the very end that I just, I still can't forget. He said, oh, I'm sorry, guys. I'm, I know I'm getting all worked up. And this is like God 101. But it's got me all worked up. That term, God 101. You know, when somebody asks you like, man, I'm struggling with this. What should I do? And they say, pray and read the Bible. And you're like, wow, that was a great Sunday school answer. I need something tangible. But most often, the God 101, the, the, middle, or the um, Bible school answer is the best answer they can give you. See, the God 101 is really what it's all about. The, the basics of our faith in Jesus Christ is really what it all is truly about. We have this tendency of getting all worked up with the rules of the church and the, the this and the that and the I don't like the way the church is doing worship. I don't like the way the pastor's preaching. I don't like the way the, the leadership team smells. And we get all worked up in all these things and we turn ourselves into Pharisees because we start worrying so much about the, the, the stupid little things that really have no kingdom value that we lose sight of all the God 101 stuff. See, I I truly believe that that periodically throughout our walk, we need to stop, take a look at ourselves, and get back to the God 101 stuff. Get back to the, 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 the meat of our faith. And I'm not saying that church stuff isn't important, and I'm not saying that the the, the outside stuff isn't important. But what I'm saying is when it's got you so worked up that you've completely lost sight of the God 101 stuff, it is now detrimental to your walk with Christ. Revelations 2, 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Have you forsaken your first love? This part of Revelation is so awesome because John is writing to a church and he's saying, you guys have done some of these awesome things. You've, you've been able to see when people are, are false prophets. You've been able to see when they're really negative, evil people. You've been able to discern. You've done these powerful higher things but you've completely lost sight of your first love. Saying you've been doing all the churchy, the big higher stuff that we kind of get caught up on. You've been doing that great. You guys are doing great at that. But you've completely lost sight of your first love. And I know there's a lot of context that I don't really have time to get into today. But John is writing this from prison, which he's really old at this time. And John is what is to believed be to believed one of Jesus's, if not Jesus's favorite. Like if you could pick one of Jesus's best friends, the first person you would probably pick is John. John was the, the top tier of close with Jesus. And he's saying, it's more about your first love than it is about the churchy stuff than it is about the pharisaical stuff. You need to get back to your first love. 
See, what John is really saying in this is, he's saying to the people, the church that he's writing to, he's saying, you've began settling for the same stuff that the Pharisees settled for. And they missed out on the big picture of Jesus. They completely missed out on that. You are beginning to miss out on your first love. You're beginning to miss out on Jesus. You're missing out on the important things because you've fallen away from your first love. And I think tonight, I want to ask you guys, and can I get my small group leaders to come up too? I want to ask you guys, be real tonight. Don't settle for not coming up for prayer. Don't settle for not receiving prayer if you feel like you need it. But I'm going to ask you the question. Have you lost sight of your first love? Have you lost sight of the importance of your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you completely missed out on the relationship with Jesus? Because you've been stuck going to church on Tuesday, going to Chi or going to Chi Alpha on Tuesday, going to your small group on Wednesday, going to um, another ministry another night, going to church on Sunday, and doing everything you can possibly do, but you're completely missing out on that love. You're missing out on your first love of Jesus Christ. You began settling for the religious side, and you've missed out on the faith side. If if that's you. I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive some prayer tonight. And I'm not saying that going to Chi Alpha and going to your small group and, and, and doing all this stuff isn't good. But I'm saying when you do it, if you keep in mind your first love, if you keep in mind Jesus Christ first, and the love that He gave us for dying on the cross... then you will get so much more out of going to church. You will get so much more out of going to your small group. Because you can focus on the things that God's wanting you to focus on. And also tonight, if you have never experienced and you have no idea what I'm saying about an intimate relationship with God, an intimate relationship with Jesus. All you know Jesus by is that you go to church. And you don't have an intimate. You have no idea what I'm talking about when I say an intimate relationship. If I'm talking to you and you know it, you can feel it inside your gut. And I'm talking to you. I want you to come up and find me. Come up and find my wife. We would love to talk to you about it and, and tell you about that passion that we feel, that, that intimate relationship with Jesus. We would love to, to lead you, point you in the right direction towards that intimate relationship. And if through all the stuff that I talked about prior to tonight, or at the beginning part of tonight with the don't settle, if I just say the words don't settle now, and you know I'm talking to you. Don't settle tonight. I want you to come up and receive prayer before the night is over. 
Girls, find a girl up here. Guys, find a guy up here. I really feel like there's so much need for prayer tonight. And even if you need prayer for something I haven't mentioned, there's just something that you know that's just completely just stealing your conscience. Perhaps your mom's sick or you're sick or, or something like that. If there's something you need prayer for that has nothing to do with what we've talked about tonight and it's immediately on your mind right now, don't miss out on an opportunity to come up tonight. So I'm going to give you guys some time. The altars are open. Okay. By a show of hands, how many of you guys received prayer tonight? Look across at the hands raised. Is it safe to say that we should be praying for each other? The only place, it's not like this group of small group leaders can only pray for you on Tuesday nights. Every single one of these small group leaders is willing to meet you and pray for you. Maybe not any time, but practically any time. They say that now, but when you call them at 4 o'clock in the morning, they're going to be like, let's... All right, I'm going to challenge you. Call him at 4 o'clock this morning, in the morning, and ask him for prayer for your stubbed pinky toe. But no, for real, in in a serious way, I know that every single one of these small group leaders, I was joking, but in a serious way, I, I know these guys would meet you with prayer, cover you in prayer. They'd probably even meet you in your room to pray for you if you needed prayer bad enough. I know every single one of them would come and pray for you. So just keep in mind, this altar, this Tuesday night, Sunday mornings, wherever you get your prayer from, that's not the only time you can receive prayer. If you're hurting, meaning it's as simple as even just shooting Courtney and I or the staff or any of these small group leaders, just a message on Facebook, a text message, a phone call, stop by at our house. I mean, it really is as easy as that. And I guess if I'm saying anything at all tonight, what I'm trying to say is we've got to stop putting God into this teeny tiny little box that is only able to be opened on services, at small group, at church on Sunday. I'm saying God is so much bigger than that box we've managed to put him in for so many years and we fall into this tendency. I'm guilty of it. Courtney's guilty of it. The small group leaders are guilty of it. If they say they're not, they're lying. Of Over time, you start getting into that tendency where you start putting God back in that box. You start getting a little bit ritualistic with how you're praying and how you're reading your Bible or how you're going to church. You start getting to that pattern and it takes this time and where every once in a great while... Hopefully once in a great while, but maybe it's not once in a great while. Every once in a while, we need to stop. We need to recognize that we've been putting God in a box for a while. And we need to just break out of that and stop settling for a relationship with God that is confined to one room or one building. Because God is so much bigger than this room. He's so much bigger than your church on Sunday morning. He's so much bigger than we can even fathom. 
When we die, we will spend eternity learning about God. Eternity learning about God and we will never know everything there is to know about Him. He's so much bigger than this room. He's so much bigger than the boxes we fit Him in. God has a huge, magnificent, awesome plan that if He told you, it would blow your mind. Yesterday, I spoke to 450 middle school students at a school. And they introduced me as a pastor. That is something that I never fathomed I would be doing. And honestly, even when I got asked to do it, I thought it was going to be maybe like a hundred or two. It was kind of intimidating, I'm not going to lie. But if God told you the bigger and better plans He has for your life right now, if He told you the big picture, you'd never believe it. You'd never believe the things God wants to do in your life. The things God wants to do through you. What it takes is us getting out of that box, taking that first step forward, taking that small step of faith, getting outside of our comfort zones, and starting to walk that faith. That small step turns into a bigger step, turns into a run, turns into a leap. I can almost guarantee you could ask any of your pastors, any of the any megachurch pastor, any any of those big names of God that you can think of, like a Judas Smith. If you'd have told Judas Smith when he was 15 that what he would be doing now, he'd have probably told you you're crazy. We've got to start getting out of our comfort zones. That goes for me included. That goes for Courtney. That goes for our small group leaders. We've got to stop getting start getting out of that comfort zone. Stop putting God in a box. So if you leave today, I don't want you to leave feeling convicted and condemned because you've been settling. Don't leave today feeling convicted because you have been putting God in a box. Leave knowing that you have the right mindset, that God is no longer in that box you've put Him in, and you can accomplish the things that He's asking you to do because you serve the most powerful, the most amazing, the most loving, the most gracious God that you can't even fathom. And He's saying, I'm asking you to do this. I'm going to give you the strength. I'm not going to ask you to do it under your own power, your own will. He's saying, I will give you the strength. We've got to stop trying to do it by ourselves. We've got to stop saying that God isn't going to help us when we try to do this. God is going to empower you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not saying I can do all things. That's saying God can do all things and He's going to use you to do it. So when you leave here tonight, be empowered. Know that God wants something even bigger for your life than you can even fathom. And walk in that. Walk in that peace and that joy. And it is so much better than we can even fathom. So if you leave here tonight, don't feel convicted. Don't feel condemned. Don't feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. Leave that garbage at the door. Leave here tonight ready to go. Ready to break through those barriers we put ourselves in. You 
you've been struggling with a sin, walk out of here ready to just shatter that wall. Don't leave here expecting to fail. Because if you aim for failure, you're going to hit it every single time. Let us, let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. You sent Jesus to take away our sins, to make us new. But Lord, we thank you that you tell us we are a brand new creation. We are no longer those sins we've struggled with. We're no longer the, the burdens of the world. We no longer have that on our shoulders. We no longer have those stains on our chest. Because Christ came to earth and He died for that. We no longer have to carry that burden in our lives. We no longer have to carry that sin on our shoulders because You've came down. You've met us in our weakness and You've made us strong. I thank You that ultimately when we serve You that You strengthen us and somehow You bring everything full circle. Lord, I thank You that You empower us to do Your will. But God, most of all, I just ask that when we do it, when we step out, we can step out understanding that we're doing it for the right reasons. And God, I just ask You to strengthen us to do it for the right reasons. And the right reason is ultimately to glorify You to do your will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I pray for all these students here as they leave here. God, I pray that there would just be a barrier on this room. There would just be a wall at every door that as they walk out of this room and they pass that wall, that you wouldn't allow any of the burdens that they walked in here with to go with them. God, I pray that as they walk past those doors, as they walk out of this room, that you would give them strength, you would give them encouragement, and you would give them joy that only you can give. God, I thank you, and it is in your name and for your glory that we pray that we show up here on Tuesday nights, that we go to church on Sunday mornings. It is for you and the love you've shown us and that intimate relationship that you've wanted with us. Lord, it is in your name we pray. Amen.